Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Dan Riley. The Exchange is a streaming internet talk show and podcast of interviews with noteworthy people about their lives, ideas, and current events. This week, I sit down with Tim Lennon. During our conversation, Tim talks about SNAP, Survivor's Network of Those Abused by Priests, his own childhood experience with sexual abuse by a Catholic priest, and the movie Spotlight, which details the 2001 Boston Globe investigation of the cover-up of the sexual abuse of children within the Catholic Church. All right, Tim. Uh, well, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you uh, for coming on the show and, and taking some time, and I uh, appreciate you doing that, and welcome to The Exchange. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. My pleasure. Um, would love to start, as I, as I generally do, with, with people that uh, are interviewed for the show. would love to just sort of maybe at first learn a little bit about uh, where, you, where you were born, where you were raised. I know you had mentioned that, that you were born in Iowa. Um, and raised in Iowa, I believe. Where, where were you born and where specifically in Iowa did you grow up? Um, I was born in Sioux City, Iowa. Mm-hmm. I was um, uh, one of 12 children, 10 boys, two girls, um, in a Catholic neighborhood um, uh, in Sioux City. And I uh, lived there the first 18 years of my life. Um, then I joined the Army. Hmm. Is, is Sioux City a particularly Catholic Town or, or were you sort of in the religious minority of Well, the neighborhood that I that I lived in was predominantly Irish um, mm-hmm. that came around the eighteen uh, 1900s um, to the meatpacking plants. Mm-hmm. So the north side was uh, largely uh, Irish. The south side was largely Polish. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't particularly a Catholic uh, uh, city, um, just Midwestern town. Mm-hmm. Was the Catholicism primarily your your mother's influence, your father's influence, or were they both pretty staunch Catholics? Um, both of them were Catholics. Um, my mother was a convert. Um, my father was very, very Catholic, very traditional, conservative Catholic. And what what does that what at that time when you were growing up? What, what did a conservative Catholic mean in terms of what your father expected from you? What how you <laughs> led your life? What what was that like? <laughs> Uh, that meant uh, wearing nice clothes to church. Your shoes were polished. You're um, groomed uh, appropriately. Um, you always attended mass. Uh, you followed all the rules. And did you ever go to Catholic schooling for elementary school or middle school? I went to elementary school the first uh, up to grade eight, and then um, a Catholic uh, high school. Did you take to Catholicism quickly when you were introduced to it as a child? Was it something that uh, resonated with you or not not particularly? Um, it was sort of like the atmosphere that I breathed. Hmm. So it was, um, this was my life, so I didn't know anything different. Um, you know, I think um, as a young person, as a child, uh, there's a general tendency you'd much rather be doing something else mm-hmm. than sitting in... Um, uh, a mass or some kind of service um, that in some ways was kind of boring. But uh, as far as the faith and the religion uh, through elementary school uh, at Blessed Sacrament, um, it was what my life was. Hmm. And were your parents sort of equally encouraging of you to 
follow in the faith and, and get involved in the church, potentially becoming like an altar server or anything like that? Did they push the, the faith on you? No, I don't think it's a push as much as an expectation. Hmm. Um, it's like getting up in, in the morning. There's an expectation you got up in the morning. It was an expectation you went to a Catholic school. It was an expectation that you uh, went to Mass, that you did confession, that you went to the services um, when appropriate within the faith. And of your all of your siblings, were they all equally... Catholic? Did some of them really become strident in their Catholicism and some not? Or, or what was the dynamic there? <laughs> well, my father was um, a strict kind of guy, and there wasn't much leeway for uh, any deviation. I think um, I think about half my family uh, floated away in one way or another after they left the household at 18. Hmm whether off to college or off to the military like me. Um, but within living in the house, that was the rule. That was, you know, you're in trouble if you didn't go to Mass every Sunday, for instance. Or hmm. where, where did his Catholicism come from? Was he also raised by a strict Catholic father that sort of imposed his will on him? Or was your father just, for some reason, very, uh, very into Catholicism? I think a little bit of both. Uh, again, um, coming from the Irish heritage, which is very, very Catholic, mm-hmm. um, I think it was uh, my, on my grandfather's side as just seeing again as as um, common or as ordinary as breathing air. It mm-hmm. wasn't something you thought about. Um, that was uh, what the life was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my father, I think, uh, took on Catholicism um, in a strong, uh, almost strident kind of way. Uh, he was uh, both politically very conservative, but also religiously uh, very conservative as well. And do you remember initially, um, as a child, when you began spending time with priests? Was that something that was expected of the children just in education classes? Or what What was your experience with, with priests from the beginning? Well, I mean, in our household, uh, priests um, would come over to dinner. Mm. Um, there would be social calls um, um, where the priests would come over. Um, so it was not unusual that uh, the parish priest came over and visited the house. Mm. Um, it was, you know, uh, I can't say common, but um, not out of the ordinary by any means. How were they viewed at that time? You know, I, I, that was, you know, a number of decades ago. What is there a difference, you think, in the way that, cat, that the Catholic priests are viewed by communities then versus now? And how did your father view priests specifically? Well, I, I think, um, and probably now for those that are part of the Catholic faith, is uh, priests are part of a community, a Catholic community. And um, the way uh, people forge a community in a society is through church, mm. sometimes through school. And so I think that uh, the priests were seen as part of that community, and um, there's attempts to involve them, you know. Uh, Whereas what's happening now, I really don't know um, because uh, I don't go to church. I haven't uh, been religious 
since um, I was 21, 22. Um, but uh, the striking thing is that, um, well, I, uh, I think the attitudes towards uh, priests has changed because of the revelations of the widespread abuse of children, sexual abuse of children. And I think that has made uh, some people more vigilant and aware. Uh, but the church and the church hierarchy, the church officials have not done very much as far as uh, keeping that awareness. Um, uh, for instance, uh, if we were to ask a church member, has uh, a priest ever from the pulpit talked about the sexual abuse mm -hmm. of children by clergy? And... Uh, talking with other people, and that's never happened. Hmm. And it's something maybe to test with people that are religious. Have you ever heard a priest say, you know, Father and so-and-so was here 10 years ago. We have reports that he abused children. You know, please step forward if you need any help. Mm -hmm. That's something that I and other people that I work with, you know, want the church to do. In looking back to those experiences for for you, and maybe I'll, in, in dealing with what I'm sure is an incredibly de delicate subject for you. It's, it's not delicate. So what, what, what's, what is the, what is the story? How, how did the, um, interaction with the priest start? How did the abuse begin? Do you remember how, how it all started? Um, I do remember how it all started. Um, <clears throat> but a large part of my life, I never remembered. It was 30 years after my abuse that I remembered, uh, came into memories of my abuse. I was 12 years old, um, and um, I was abused by this priest, Father Murphy, Peter Brennan Murphy. Um, he was a parish priest. He'd come over to the house, uh, be social, sometimes have dinner, or sometimes I have drinks with my father, um, and he was a visitor. Um, I was also an altar boy. Um, Father Murphy was the head of the altar boys. He also, um, we had little sports teams uh, in elementary school, and uh, he did some coaching with basketball and uh, track. Um, and uh, my abuse... Uh, was over several months uh, uh, molestation, uh, sexual molestation. Um, and uh, my abuse stopped. Um, and the only reason it stopped is that uh, Father Murphy got caught by another parent uh, abusing uh, his child. Um and uh, those memories I didn't remember for about 30 years. Um, I, when I did remember, come into memories of those, I wrote to the diocese back in Sioux City and said, I was molested by Father Murphy and, um, you know, it's been very upsetting. And um, they wrote back and said, um, well, at that time, people didn't think it was abuse, and we didn't think it was abuse, and you didn't. Father Murphy is dead. And that was the essence of their letter. They didn't say, I'm sorry, how can we help? 
none of that. That was in 1995. About five years ago, I remembered um, my rape, which was very violent and vicious. Um, and um, that was uh, uh, pretty traumatic and upsetting um, and caused a great uh, amount of um, troubles and problems, uh, depression and anger and anxiety. I'd be crying all the time. Um, and those memories um, didn't return for 50 years. Um, it's not unusual for children that have been abused to bury memories. And um, yeah. I guess the, the story started is how I first came abused. And I can't remember the first instance. I just remember a series of instances of him molesting me and other boys at the same time. In in thinking about that entire episode and that, that period of, of a few months, um, do you remember what your your thoughts were? I mean, did you think he's the he's a priest, he's a man of God, this is what God wants? Was your thought I need <laughs> to tell my parents about this? What what was what was going on in your head? Well, the, the thing that strikes me most vividly is when he had uh, a pillow over my head and I couldn't breathe, raping me. And I kept thinking, why is God doing this to me? Why is God doing this to me? That was the only connection I had to religion and his abuse. The story where he was caught molesting another child or, or raping another child. Um, do you know the details of that story? Was was the, the boy that was being molested someone that your family knew or that you knew? What, what oh, happened? yeah, I knew the family. And it was another family. Um, I think that I, I believe they had 11 children, and it was another uh, Catholic family. Everybody in my neighborhood, mm -hmm. uh, most of them were Catholic, and they had six, eight, ten kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, but this other family was, um, uh, I knew one of the kids was in my class. Um, I think it was one of his younger brothers. Um, and he got caught. Um, and they transferred to another parish. And I found out later um, that he was in Fort Dodge, which is in the same diocese, uh, working at a high school. And... Uh, he had abused uh, both uh, young women and young boys, uh, high schoolers, but, you know, teenagers. And he got caught there, um, reported twice, but there was four instances, and I don't know how many of those four other than the two that were reported. Um, and, and that's why he got transferred to my parish. So if the church would have reported him to the police, my abuse and abuse of half a dozen, dozen, maybe more uh, younger kids uh, could have been prevented. Um, so it seems what he learned from there is to go to younger kids. When the years later, 30 years later or so, when you first remembered the, the, the molestation that had, that had taken place with you, did 
did it come back in a flash where you were walking around one day and the memory hit you or uh, was it was it more gradual where that those few months seemed to come back rather slowly and in time you were able to remember what, what had happened? It was more that it was um, an immediate thing. In other words, um, there was some kind of event or picket in front of the San Francisco Cathedral, and there's a little thing in the in the newspaper. It said, uh, "Survivors Network of those abused by priests uh, picketed da 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 about some abuse of priests in San Francisco." And I thought, I was abused by a priest. And that was my first introduction to that. And through that, became involved in um, uh, a support group, a SNAP support group, uh, both in Hayward and East Bay and in uh, San Francisco. Um, so that was kind of what the prompt um, of memories. And the second one was... When I first wrote to the church, in my original letter to the church in 1995, when I remember the molestation, I said, and I think there's more. And I think when I remember the rape, um, I think it was because my girls were um, 12 years old, and that was the age that I was abused. Uh When, I guess, you, you, in thinking about that now and um, the sort of widespread, we were talking earlier about the movie that's about to come out that that's, that details the, it's more regional, but um, the description of, of the cover-up of the abuse of, of priests in, in the Boston area specifically. Um, to someone like you that, that's had experience with this directly, what... What was your first thought when that really gained mainstream media attention and it was being actually talked about in average dining dining rooms across the country? Was that uh, therapeutic for you at all? Was that more you were what, – what was your reaction when you we heard about the publicity of, of that specifically? Well, I, I don't think it was therapeutic. I, I think um, for me it was – um, a time, an event whose time had come. Mm -hmm. um, in other words, it provided um, some validation for all the survivors that had been speaking out about the widespread abuse of children. And their investigation uh, provided um, evidence of that um, because all our experiences, parishioners and the church officials alike would be saying, no, 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 it's, you know, not widespread. And the important thing is to understand is the archdiocese in, in San Francisco, if it uh, was a subject of the same scrutiny that Boston was, they would find a similar uh, horrific story of, of widespread abuse and cover-up. Um, it's just that you had uh, strong investigative reporters uh, doing the work, um, and grand juries like in Philadelphia have also opened the door. Um, also, I think in New England somewhere, there was another grand jury. Um, the Dallas 
Fort Worth Daily News, uh, also did a huge investigation of uh, clergy abuse and how widespread it is. Hmm. Um, so, and then in Los Angeles, where we found out 600 uh, different victims, and uh, that was mostly through civil action, through court proceedings and mm-hmm. things like that. So when there's <clears throat> secular investigations of these uh, dioceses and archdiocese, it opens the covers to how widespread the abuse is. Uh, the church obviously wants to to uh, protect its reputation and protect the reputation of its priests, but they also want to keep a cover on how widespread the abuse was. Mm. And according to uh, bishopaccountability.org, uh, who have a database of publicly known uh, abusers, they've done a study, and based on that, that they've come to 8 or 10% of all priests active since 1950 have been child molesters. Um, so we know that there's a significant number, and they got that number from the grand juries and public information. This is not... Um, so I didn't think it was therapeutic. I think all this awareness, and when this movie comes out, um, this movie will... Uh, um, Again, I think demonstrate um, for the parishioners that it's just not this bum priest or that bum priest, but it's not only that, but an institution that went out of its way to protect them. And that is a tragedy. My abuse um, and the abuse of many, many, many other children could have been prevented if the church uh, reported Um we had O'Grady abused maybe 200 kids. Uh, to a San Francisco priest? Uh, Stockton, in the Stockton area, Sacramento. Uh, yeah. Is it your, your opinion that the church itself is a magnet for uh, sociopaths? That no, it's, it's a no, magnet no. For, for pedophiles? Well, no. How do you think so many priests become like they are? Is it, what's your view on that? Well, I mean, priests were in like a candy store. I mean, with their attachment to uh, elementary schools. And But, you know, pedophiles and sick pieces of garbage that abuse children uh, are going to gravitate to those where they have access to children. And so they're going to be clowns like Garcia in Chicago. They're going to be uh, teachers. They're going to be coaches. Um, so they're going to be in the Boy Scouts. Uh, but they're also going to be priests. And so the crime isn't that they're they're sick criminals, but the question is those institutions that value the reputations more than they value the safety and the well-building of their children is criminal. And they should be throwing some bishops in jail. And, and of course, it takes a courageous district attorney to do something like that. Um, and uh, we have uh, uh, Carmela Harris, who's running for attorney general. When she was DA in San Francisco, she made deals with uh, San Francisco Archdiocese. Uh, she wasn't aggressive with them at all. Uh, and we hear secret letters, but again, that's all rumors. In, in talking about you and, and your life, um, how do you explain the, the burying of, of that experience for, for so long? Is it after the molestation and, and the rape happened, you 
uh, didn't think about it and it wasn't a, a, a part of your conscious mind? How do you explain sort of the, uh, the next 30 years or so until the memories came back? Well, it's two different, uh, almost three different periods. From the time I was abused to the time I first remembered, I could see on retrospect the effects of that, of uh, low self-esteem and uh, difficulty in interpersonal relationships and relationships with women. But since I remember the molestation and the rape, um, it's something that is part of my life every day. And I'm fortunate. Um, many survivors or many victims of child sexual abuse uh, bury their pain in alcohol and drugs. Some are so injured and harmed that suicide is the only option. I'm fortunate. Um, when I first came into memories of my abuse, of my molestation, uh, I participated in SNAP uh, support group. I had support of my uh, my wife, my ex now, but my wife uh, and my family and got better. Um, and at age 50, um, I had twin girls uh, who have been a great blessing and joy. Um, and I feel it was because I was able to um, grow and thrive um, by becoming aware of my history and not have my history controlling me uh, unaware. Um, now it's um, again unfortunate. My daughters are 17 um, and uh, I keep very active uh, doing uh, work supporting other survivors. I work with uh, Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests, SNAP. I work with the national organization I'm on the board. I also uh, the local leader of SNAP in San Francisco. And I also do correspondence for the website. And I'm in contact with survivors every day. And by being in contact with survivors and, I believe, helping survivors and victims, um, it helps me uh, heal. Um, and I think understanding and incorporating all the things of my life um, I can determine my own future as opposed to having my past determine my future. So uh, I'm fortunate, but it's a day-to-day -day 
uh, uh, challenge, struggle, um, you know, depression will overcome me and it's like, but I'm fortunate I've been able to uh, thrive. You, as you mentioned, you deal with and, and communicate with a lot of, a lot of survivors and I think oftentimes the story itself is about the Catholic Church and not about the impact that the abusers have had on the lives of people who were abused. Um, if you could talk about what that experience does to people, what are what are the ways in which it impacts the lives of the the abused themselves? Oh, well, it totally destroys people. I mean. It, if you're abused as a child, you totally any kind of dream is is smashed. Any kind of future is smashed. Um, survivors are like life itself, varied, uh, but some uh, survivors are destroyed by psychological and physical and emotional problems that are quite severe that uh, place people on disability, the inability to work. Some people have difficulty dealing with people. I mean, literally, just day to day. Um, in general, there's always a questions of anxiety, depression, uh, relationship problems, um, low self-esteem um, are all the day-to-day -day general kind of themes that survivors have to have to deal with. And obviously, uh, I'm fortunate I had supportive family. Sometimes uh, family uh, are not supportive. They'll say, what happened 20 years ago, get over it. Or they'll say, uh, talk to the priest. Uh, uh, and which makes uh, healing that much more difficult. And um, with the weak laws protecting, the weak laws of uh, child abuse laws are, are so weak that there's not an opportunity for people to gain the kind of therapeutic support that they need. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's varied. Um, some people are, are able to bury it and just say it happened a long time ago. I'm not going to think about it. Uh, some people just, um, every minute of every day, um, uh, is overwhelming. Very. And is that primarily because of replaying the trauma in, in their head? Is it just a, a total violation of trust of other people? Is it all of the above and, and more? What, what, it, what is it primarily? Well, trust, and I, that is a major one. And obviously, there's a, that is a huge issue when you have, uh, like in a priest or a coach or uh, a therapist, uh, someone that um, is respected, you look up to, um, and violate you uh, 
that issue is uh, a huge, huge kind of injury that is hard to get over with. Um, I was fortunate. I had a great therapist who specialized in trauma, and I used a therapy called EMDR. And people looking can look it up in Wikipedia. Uh, it's a it's a process, um, but basically, its theory, which gets to your question of every day, is that the trauma, especially uh, uh, this dramatic tra- trauma as child abuse, is held in um, the more basic part of your brain, the emotional part of your brain, and that. It's a constant uh, emerging of that uh, emotional trauma uh, onto your day-to-day living, to your conscious living. Um, And what EMDR attempts to address, uh, and successfully for me, was to bring that emotional memory to make it part of, incorporate it as part of your life, that it's not just something that happened to you, but you know, to face that um, harm, that trauma. Um, and from there, um, use that as incorporating as part of your life so that you can determine your own future and not have that emotional trauma determine your life. Mm. Um, EMDR is used by the VA, as I understand it. It's been successful for veterans. Um I've had, I've talked to other survivors who have not found success with that, uh, but for me it was very successful. Um, but again, <laughs> um, uh, those kinds of emotional issues I face every day, but you know, it's just part of who I am and. I'm able to thrive and determine my future. Today, we, the Catholic Church, for, for all of the revelations, is still an enormously powerful institution in the world. And there unquestionably must be uh, abusing priests right now that are a part of that institution. If you were a parent and you had children who were a part of the Catholic upbringing, um, what would you say to them in terms of advice and recommendations to um, look out for potential signs of abuse or uh, what, what sort of things could they do to try to do the best they can to ensure that something like this doesn't, wouldn't happen to their own child? Well, I, um, uh, there's a, a book written by another survivor called The Well-Armored Child. Uh, that provides a book-length uh, uh, guideline of, of addressing that kind of issue. But in addressing an institution such as a Catholic Church, one of its signature features uh, of its, what I believe, criminal activity is um, its secrecy. Mm-hmm. And if I was a prisoner, I would be demanding of the bishop to open the files um, that if there has been a priest that had been accused of uh, abusing a child, then the parish should know. Um, if the priest has admitted to the bishop or to someone else they've abused a child, that should be 
known to the parish and the community. Uh, if they've settled in court, that should be known. I talked to uh, Bishop um, McElroy, who's now in San Diego, the Bishop of San Diego, who is a auxiliary bishop here in San Francisco. And I says, asked him exactly that question. I says, you should make public those that have settled in court and those that have been accused and those that have been convicted, those that have confessed, uh, those that have been uh, credibly accused, meaning after investigation. And he says, no, no, they're not going to do that. He says, well, you know, we settle in court because, um, uh, you know, it's an easier thing to do. And he says, well, besides, we have to keep these files secret because we want to protect the victims. So if I was a parishioner, uh, I would be outraged. As a survivor, I'm outraged. Um, and that's always uh, when we do um, any kind of public event, um, we, we attempt to make this one of the issues is if there's a priest that we know has been abusing children, is the bishop should go to every parish that he was assigned and say, mm -hmm. hey, look, this guy has uh, been arrested for abusing children. If there's any people that have been, or any children that have been abused by this priest, please sit forward. We want to help. Or please report to the police. We want to make sure that this does not happen again. To us, this is what um, a good shepherd should do. Mm. But this Archbishop Corleone or most archbishops or bishops are not good shepherds. And I couldn't say that too loudly. If I could shout it, I would. I mean, the Pope has said really nice stuff, um, but hasn't done jack. I mean, he's really said nice stuff. He says things should be open, you know. We should pay attention to the victims. Uh, uh, but when he was in Argentina, he didn't do anything, and uh, he's protected the cardinal law from this movie. Who was facing a uh, cardinal law was facing a grand jury in Boston um, two days before he was to appear before a grand jury. He fled to the Vatican, where he's received safe haven and a cushy job, and he's been there ever since. Um, so if the Pope was serious, well, I could kick law back to Boston. We can see what happens there. Um, so if I was a parishioner, I would get other parents together and say, hey, look, this is important. We need to protect our kids. The church isn't doing enough. It's keeping stuff secret from us. If we are a community, and the church does talk about their parish as a community, their diocese as a community. Well, if it's a community, protect your community, inform your community, have transparency, have your parents part of this process. And they have a, a, a review board um, that's supposed to be the protector of the community, but, um, excuse me, they're a joke. Um, they're appointed by the bishop. They're approved by the bishop. The bishop determines what kind of information they have, and any kind of meeting that the review board has is they have uh, maybe the bishop, maybe the uh, chancellor, or the um, 
the Catholic lawyer present. Um, so if I was to be a parishioner in a Catholic church today, I'd be pissed. What, what are the, the most common misconceptions of uh, unknown facts or unknown information or myths that Americans or Catholics just worldwide tell themselves about this problem? Is it, is it that, you know, as you mentioned, reports have indicated that 8 to 10 percent of priests worldwide are uh, potential child molesters? Is it that Cardinal Law, who very well should be in prison right now, two days before his grand jury trial, was shuffled off to the Vatican? What, what, what about... What are, in knowing the details, what are what are facts or what what are bits of information that the general public probably just either doesn't know or doesn't seem to listen to? Well, uh, the eight to ten percent was in the United States, although we've seen from uh, Ireland and the studies that they've done there. Uh, there's a royal commission in Australia. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but they've uh, done symptomatic investigations there. Um, but I'm assuming, assuming that in most of these uh, Catholic companies, countries such as the Philippines or, or Poland um, are similar in the extent of widespread abuse. So I think as far as what is not generally known is how widespread it is. And I think that's uh, the church has been trying to keep a, uh, a lid on that. The other thing is without... This institution, the church institution, as most institutions, but the church especially, until it starts uh, kicking out priests and kicking out priests that abuse children and, and kicking out bishops who cover up for abuse. Now, three bishops recently resigned, uh, Finn in uh, Kansas City and two from Minneapolis. I can't remember their names, but... They didn't resign because, hey, we covered up child sex abuse. They just resigned for the better of the church. In other words, the church was too cowardly to say they covered up. But the civil authorities in Kansas City, the civil authorities in Minneapolis are the ones that said, uh, and in Minneapolis it was specifically the church institution protected child molesters. Um so until the church as an institution gets real um, and takes action, not just the nice words of the Pope, but the Pope actually starts kicking out those that would cover up abuse. And until it opens its books, as long as it keeps secrets, you know, predators are going to thrive within that kind mm -hmm. of environment. Um, and I think there's a great amount of passivity, I believe, within the Catholic communities. But, you know, I'm not a Catholic. I can't speak for them. But if I was a Catholic, I would say, hey, you need to change something. You know, if, if the parishioners are part of the community of this church, um, then they need to stand and, and have a voice. Has anyone associated with the Catholic Church, either for covering up or for abusing children, been sent to prison? Oh, yeah. A number of priests have been sent to prison. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know what the number is. Uh, uh, BishopAccountability.org. Um, um, I think you have a, a section, uh, crisis at a glance. or. But 
but they have a, a general overall look where they, they give some of those statistics. But yeah, um, as, I, as I mentioned, Car, uh, Archbishop Flynn, uh, they reduced his, uh, his charge to endangering a child or something like that. But he had known about um, a pedophile priest and, and didn't pass it on to the police. And then in Minneapolis, the two uh, bishops that resigned was a result of their diocese uh, being cited by the prosecutor as um, systematically covering up for uh, child abusers. Um, there's a Monsignor Lynn in Philadelphia um, who was complicit in covering up. I mean, they had a bishop tell his chancellor, there's a list of 48 abuser priests, uh, um, you know, burn this list. I mean, you know, uh, Cardinal Mahoney in L.A. telling priests to go to Mexico. Um, you know, uh, Father Kelly, who was in a trial in Stockton of what, two years ago, uh, was found liable in a raping and molesting a child. Uh, he fled to Ireland. Same, well... So is it usually the people that do the covering up that end up in jail, or is it the people that actually do the abusing? In general, uh, neither. In general, uh, victims of rape, whether it's adult or child or minors, rarely go to jail. Two percent. I think statistics is. Most rape, most child abuse is never reported. Uh, I've heard some statistics of 10%. I've heard other statistics of 40%. But somewhere in there um, that even gets reported and then how many actually come to um, an arrest or come to a trial or whatever is minuscule. So in general, within our society, we have weak laws. And for child abuse, it's especially horrific in the sense that we have what they call the... Um, statute of limitations, that if you're abused as a child and you don't remember for 30 years like myself, there's limited options for you to report. There's a woman that uh, was abused by uh, Father Miles Riley O'Brien, something like that, who's a priest in San Francisco. He lives in San Francisco. He's around. Uh, he raped this woman uh, as a child for two years at St. Paul's, which is a couple blocks away. But because of these laws about a statute, and she didn't remember for decades, and the archdiocese gave her bum news. It just says, well, the statute of limitations, you can't report it. There's nothing we can do. Instead of saying, the archdiocese should have said, we'll report it to the police and let them determine the legality of it. But anyhow, I mean, he's not in jail. Um, the church investigated, found the accusation credible. Um, but, you know, uh, he was retired um, previously for abusing um, uh, a teenager. Um, and 
there's been other accusations. But because of the statute of limitations, there's no ability for people that have buried their memory to come forward to report that and put these guys in jail. So a rapist, um, child rapist, uh, you know, can rape dozens, hundreds over uh, decades. Um, the Department of Justice, no, it was the Department of Education did a study of those convicted. And again, it's only, like, I mean, in jail, um, there's only like 2%. But they said from from their survey that there was an average of 70 that they, children that they abused, uh, which I believe. I mean, the guy that abused me, I knew abused uh, teenagers uh, and then went to younger kids and um, may have abused six, eight kids that I know personally. I don't know how many that I didn't know about. And who knows how many kids he abused uh, afterwards. And a person that's so sick and vile that would violate a child um, is not going to stop. I mean, they got, they need to be stopped. So the statute of limitations is a huge impediment to that. Um, and if we talk about how we can protect children, then uh, we need to remove all statute limitations uh, for child abuse, especially. Uh, but I think for most traumatic kinds of abuse, it should be right up there with murder. It's a murder of the soul. It's a murder of childhood. It's a murder of dreams. You know, sometimes... Sometimes I just get sad. At what I lost. So laws need um, to be strengthened because what happened to me and what happens to other children should not happen to another child. Have you ever gotten an apology from the church? <laughs> no. Um, I have to make a caveat on that. Um, when I wrote them in 95 and told them how, that I would have been abused, they wrote me back what I felt was a very nasty letter. You know, basically, nobody thought it was a big deal, and we didn't either. Um, Father Murphy's dead. I mean, that was literally it. I, I can show you the letter if you're interested. But, um, but when I came into memories of my rape, I was compelled to find out more of about Murphy, about what happened to me, the circumstances. And I did a lot of research. I even went back to uh, the diocese back in Sioux City and went to their archives. I gave them a cover story. I said, I'm doing research on my family. But really, I was doing research on Father Murphy. 
And I talked to a lawyer, but because of statute of limitations and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, there wasn't much option there. But the church, through my, oh, and I also put an ad in, um, in a couple small towns that he was in previously to coming to Sioux City and in Fort Dodge. And six people contacted me, four of them talking to me about abuse they knew about or reported. So during all this research, um, the church got wind of it, and I got a letter from the chancellor. And um, at the time, I was so distressed and troubled, I couldn't read it. I had to have my wife read it, my ex, uh, just because it was too upsetting. And I, we exchanged a couple letters. They extended um, an invitation to come back to speak to their review board, um, and they would pay my way. Um, now, I don't know if that was an apology. I, I, I have still, to this day, not read those letters. Um, I don't know if I can. Um, but... It was a positive thing I saw mm-hmm. is that they were sort of reaching out and, hey, we hear about that. Now, supposedly, my they had made public all their abusers, but somehow when when they found about me, they said, oh, here's Father Murphy. Well, to me, the question is, how many of these are other? Oh, here's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did reach out to me, and I may take them up on that. I've been thinking about that. Um, I'm at a point that, again, that I'm very fortunate that I'm able to thrive. Um, so they, they may at some point. That would be interesting. Um, I don't know what my response would be. I mean, I know what I'd tell them. Let's say make everything public, make an announcement at the parish I was and every parish he was at. Last question I want to ask you, if, if there were someone listening to this podcast who uh, had experienced something similar to what you you have experienced, but isn't yet a part of any mm-hmm. uh, support group or hasn't come public, hasn't told anyone about what's happened to them, what would be your suggestions or advice or recommendations as to what he or she may th- consider or should do given what, what what's happened to them? That's a good question. It's a great question. Um, I think there's two general things. One is you're not alone. Um, that survivors uh, are organized, are out, are can provide support to other people. Uh, the second thing is um, you can get better. Um, another thing is uh, seek out um friends, family, uh, tell your story. In telling your story, you get a lot of power. It helps uh, you understand your own uh, harm and hurt. It also helps place responsibility on the crime and the criminal, and it helps you uh, throw off the burden of guilt, shame, and humiliation. Um, seek out a therapist, a support group. 
there are adult survivors of clergy, no, I'm sorry, adult survivors of child abuse. Um, you can Google it, but they have support groups uh, throughout the country. Uh, my organization, Survivors Network, are those abused by priests. We welcome all faiths, whether it's Baptist or Mennonite or Mormon or Jewish. Uh, we started as Catholic, but we welcome all. Uh, there's another organization called MaleSurvivor.org uh, for men. There's another fantastic organization called RAIN, Rape, Abuse, Incest, National Network.org. So that's RAIN with two ends. Uh, they have support groups. Um, in every city, there's major uh, rape crisis centers. Um, and you can look up me and call me anytime, whether you're clergy abuse or not. Um, and um, obviously, uh, report to the place. You're not alone. Um, what happened to you uh, is a crime, and uh, you did nothing wrong. Tim, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for the opportunity and um, the opportunity to... Uh, bring awareness or hopefully bring awareness to wider community. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about the exchange, want to listen to episodes online or would like to reach out to the show, feel free to visit the show's website at the exchange show.com. 